Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer. This is part two of our special series on Jewish arts and culture in Berlin. In the last episode, Lainey Bassman and I took you on a radio tour of Berlin's diversity and counterculture. You can hop on that audio tour called Gypsy, Jewish and Gay at shtetlmontreal.com. Today, we bring you along as we explore the growing trend of Israeli migration to the German capital. Pop into any Passover Seder around the world and you're likely to hear the proclamation, next year in Jerusalem. For thousands of years, this has been a metaphor for spiritual emancipation and social justice. However, for some in the global creative class, among them Israelis, the new motto seems to be, next year in Berlin. This European hotspot offers young Israelis a decent standard of living, a cutting edge art scene, hip neighborhoods, and a little peace and quiet already. In 1838, Heinrich Heine, one of the most famous German writers of his time, asks whether Germany isn't a modern Palestine, the home of philosophy, the mother soil of prophecy, and the citadel of pure spirituality. Heine, who was born into a Jewish family, believed that Jews and Germans were tied to one another through a deep affinity. That said, the two nation states did not actually establish diplomatic relations until 1965. It's been a bumpy road, to put it mildly. In this episode, next year in Berlin, we'll meet Israeli artists, dancers, playwrights, culture workers, and journalists who help us ponder a very old question. Is Berlin a new Jewish promised land? started, Lainey and I met with Israeli choreographer Nir DeVolf. DeVolf's dance company, Total Brutal, was in rehearsal for Diary of a Lost Decade, in which the 1920s meets the 21st century, cabaret meets modern dance, and glamour meets apocalypse in a smoky Berlin nightclub. Actually, you were following me into the two best places for dance in Berlin. We started in Pankow, in the area of Dock Elf. They have five amazing studios in between the woods. And uh, this is the second uh, place called Ufer Studio uh, in Wedding. And it's just in the corner of my very fancy neighborhood that's called Prinzlauberg. And what made you decide to live in Prinzlauerberg? Coincidence. I had a, a friend and she told me that she has an apartment. And I said, I take it. Just without knowing where do I go and how does it look. And it was a, a total disaster. Uh, the apartment looked like really like Eastern uh, apartment, very old and moldy and rusty and K 
chaotic as hell. In between there was a Peng Shui book, how to make your uh, surrounding perfect. And next to it was a dead um, um, plant. And it was really like this kind of building. The building was gray and the whole neighborhood was gray. I was very depressed. And then I moved out for a year. I came back because I saw the potential and I could actually see the future of the area, which I luckily I was right. And yeah, I feel very comfortable and safe. When did you come to Berlin? I moved to Berlin in the end of 2003. When Moses came down from Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the Hebrews were dancing by the disco lights of the Golden Calf. The last thing they wanted were a whole list of rules. Something it seems that Nir de Wolf can totally relate to. And back then, when I moved 2003, was already because I love the city. But slowly and surely, as in love relations, you've started to discover the problems such as anal people. All these little rules as an Israeli or as a human being drive me nuts because I obey the rules, I respect them, but there's no place for going around the line. And this creates fear for me when I know that people cannot really work with their feelings. That's quite scary. Not everybody. I'm not generalizing. You never should. One should never generalize. So very different from Israel. It's the opposite. It seems now there's this big wave of Israelis who are living in Berlin. When you came 15 years ago, you said? 10. 10? Um, were you amongst the first sort of Israelis who had chosen to establish themselves here? It go, I think it goes like this. There's the generation who came immediately after the uh, fall of the wall. They experienced a total raw Berlin. I mean, what I experienced 10 years ago, they told me like, oh, you missed the good years. What I'm saying now, you missed the good years. So, you know, it's like a kind of a recycle. Um, but when I arrived here, it was very, very rare to hear Hebrew. I was so happy I could speak, scream Hebrew, and nobody will understand it in the streets. Now, as you might experience as well, you hear this weird language everywhere, in the markets, in the supermarkets, in galleries, in theaters, everywhere, everywhere. I cannot actually speak without uh, thinking that somebody might uh, understand what I'm saying everywhere. something. We went to a, a bar, and you're now our cultural interpreter of German society. We went to a bar, and there was a mixed women and men's bathroom, and there was a sign forbidding you from peeing standing up. Have you seen this? What's this? What's this? <laughs> What's the story? It's, it's, it's still shocking to me. Tell me. I cannot understand why man has to sit and pee till today, but it reflects something about who are Germans. I got a lot of uh, comments from friends that if you stand up and peeing, you make it dirty. And I was like, oh my God, but this is toilet. Toilet become dirty sooner or later. No, you have to sit and pee so it doesn't become dirty. And I have nothing else to say. This reflects a lot about where I live. Interesting. It's pretty shocking. I was shocked. Like, it's... Yeah, there's something unnatural about being here as well. 
as, as much as much as <laughs> no as much as uh, when it comes to the body also it reflects about society and culture men shave their armpits shave their intimate hair and I uh, sometimes you go to the gym and you see it you know it's like and I was like I said, yeah, why no it's dirty you sweat in summer and it makes stains on the clothes and I was like sweat comes out of the body is natural but they have their own way. So you don't feel totally integrated? I would say like a grandpa, listen, I would never be very integrated into the 100% of it. I would always be a foreigner. Israel, for me, will always stay my, my home. But I'm integrating because I'm giving my way of culture into the local culture. And I get the support to create it. So it is integration. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking German, I'm paying tax, you know, so this is uh, integration. Um, we heard that as a Jewish person, it's really easy to get laid in Berlin. Is this true? Get what? Laid. Get laid? <laughs> as a Jewish or as an Israeli? Is a big Jewish. Jewish. I, to be honest, I never thought of it, heard of it, or... I don't know. And as an Israeli? Yeah, we are very popular. <laughs> Why? We bring a different energy. We bring a different <laughs> visuality. We are uh, different. We are faster also. You know, we are more demanding. We are much more. We have elbows. That's the way we grow up because otherwise you cannot survive. Israel is a very, very demanding place. And Germany is much more relaxed. So it's appealing to them very exotic, very energetic, very different. And I think it's, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's popular. There's a reason why there's so many Israelis coming here and why the city allowed it to happen and accept it and love it. Mm. Vive la différence. <laughs> nice. It's not surprising that Nir distinguishes Jews in Berlin from Israelis. From our conversations, there seemed to be a real disconnect between the mainstream Jewish community, coming mostly from Germany and Eastern Europe, and the newer arrivals from Israel. The Israelis just didn't see themselves reflected in local Jewish culture and community services. That's part of the reason why some, like our next guest, Tal Alon, decided they were going to bring their unique voice to the city. In 1830s Germany, hotshot Jewish thinkers like Walter Benjamin and Gershom Scholem were debating in smoky cafes on the radical pages of newsletters and, for some, at the Kiddishes celebrating their conversions to Christianity. These German Jews were asking what type of person a Jew should be and, more importantly, where a Jew should live. In 1838, Heinrich Heine prophesied that Germany was the new Palestine. In 2013, Yair Lapid, Israel's Minister of Finance, was more pessimistic about the flow of traffic from Tel Aviv to Berlin. It starts in Channel 10, one of the biggest TV stations in Israel. There was a series of, uh, of stories about Israelis moving abroad 
to improve their financial situation. And Berlin was one of the three centers they chose. And then Yair Lapid, uh, he wrote on his Facebook page something like, like, uh, I, I have no patience for Israelis who desert. They're only the only Jewish country just because it, it's easier in Berlin or something like that. And they started a whole, uh, you know, a media, uh, how do you say Sarah? Storm, yeah, storm. Yeah, it started a whole storm of media reactions, people writing against and for it. And That was Tal Alon, creator and publisher of Spitz, a Hebrew magazine for Israelis in Berlin and the first Hebrew publication in Germany since before the war. A recent edition of Spitz magazine featured the topic of romantic relationships between Israelis and Germans. Tal Alon's husband happens to be a German himself who had moved to Israel as a kid with his mom. What are some of the complications that could come up? You from... mean in a in a intimate relationship? Yeah. Uh, from my own experience, it my own experience doesn't count here because, as I said, my husband is a fake German. He's more Israeli, and he was raised in he was raised already into the very um intense Israeli narrative uh, of the Holocaust and uh, he was raised in the Israeli education system and you know the whole he got the whole thing in that regard but uh, one of our uh, women Israeli women we interviewed uh, was telling about how she first drove with her partner's grandparents in, in the car and they were complaining about... Second World War, but totally not uh, in relation to the Holocaust. It was just for them a regular talk about Second World War and how bad it was and how hard it was. And she she was telling that the grandmother said how after the war her mother dressed her and her sisters very bad, so the Russian soldiers would not uh, uh, approach them and. Um, but she said it was she was uh, she couldn't breathe the whole car drive with them, hearing them complaining about Second World War, and that when they arrived home, she just had to throw up. She went to the bathroom and just threw up terribly. <laughs> and I I found it very strong because it's like it's a physical reaction like to something emotional, and I thought it was like the the strongest metaphor one could one could uh, imagine for. For this, for how these two narratives or two different worlds can can really interact, and but on the other hand, some some of the couples who are really rejecting the question and saying, "Oh, come on, we're a couple. We don't wake up in the morning, drink our coffee, and talk about Nazis. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it's not part of our daily life, mm -hmm. and it's and and we're sick from this question already because you know if you're a German-Israeli couple, you always you're always addressed with this question. Since the late 1940s, West Germany has invited descendants of Holocaust survivors to reclaim their citizenship. More recently, this has become a hot ticket into the EU. Ironically, for some Israelis, a German passport offers a sense of safety from a politically and economically challenging Middle East. The German embassy in Tel Aviv issues approximately 3,000 passports each year. We asked Tal Alon if the influx of Israelis to Berlin is just a trend. 
Do you think more Israelis are going to come here? I think definitely in the next few years, yes. But I'm not sure uh, how many are going to stay in the long run. I'm not convinced yet that the community here is uh, going to be like the one in New York or New Jersey or London. I'm not sure about that, if, if it's a trend or really something that's going to have roots. And it's one of the things that I'm interested in. I mean, if it was already an established and very easy to predict community, I don't think I would be interested in, in doing a magazine about it. I'm I'm fascinated by the process and what's and and looking at what's going on and trying to to understand and to document it. As an immigrant, Tal experienced some difficulty integrating into her chosen city. The cold weather, language barriers, the quest for meaningful work. Still, she found a lot in Berlin worth staying for. Some things amaze me for in a good way, you know, like uh, summer here is wonderful <laughs> and the way everything is so affordable and so convenient. And also, yeah, I think the, the thing I, I like the most about Berlin, it's the sense of a real big city with some calmness and I mean you you don't feel the rat race here on a daily basis. You don't feel people are chasing the money or or chasing status symbols and it doesn't matter if you have a car here or or if what kind of a salary you have actually it's much cooler to not have a car by only second hand and um, mm. uh, so I, I, I really identify and I like it so it would seem that Berlin offers Israeli expats an easygoing lifestyle. It's a well-known fact that Jews reign supreme in the global Olympics of guilt. So how did Israelis in Berlin react to finance minister Yair Lapid's scathing criticism? Their reaction was all, all but guilt. People are really angry with him because it, it, he's, he's like he was elected to change things. If, if the only thing you have to say to Israel is living is that uh, you shouldn't do it because of the Holocaust, what kind of a message is that? I mean, and actually, of course, today with, you know, the blogs and everything, the a few hours later, they all had quotes of him from his campaign saying quite the opposite, saying uh, we should do things better so many Israelis can come back and I can't blame them for being there because uh, we're not doing enough to to give them good conditions and good education and good uh, economical opportunities mm -hmm. so I think it was just but people are really angry at him and not only Israelis in Berlin Israelis uh, all across I mean because people are saying you shouldn't like using the Holocaust in that respect is really how long how low can you get like and i think i don't think people have guilt for being here darling you gotta let me know should i stay or should i go if you say that you are mine i'll be here till the end of time so you gotta let me know 
Should I stay or should I go? It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me off your back, well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? You've been listening to a special edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave, part two of our series on Jewish arts and culture in the German capital. Coming up on Next Year in Berlin, we ask the age-old question, how naked should we get with our friends? Pick up your clothes, let me see what it is that you're hiding. Germans who are curious about Israeli culture can check out concerts, lectures, and performances in German, hosted by Habait, a project that promotes Israeli culture in Germany. Since arriving in Berlin, Habait founder Nirit Bialer has clearly had a few burning bush moments. You know, in Israel, if you go to the beach, you almost will never see a woman without her top on. Here it's very common. It's also a part of the so-called FKK, Freie Körperkultur, which is translated into the free uh, body culture, was something which was very much common in the East German beaches, on the lakes, on the uh, Baltic Sea and so on. And um, you also have it here now, winter is coming up, you have it in the saunas. I mean, it's very common to go in winter to a sauna, which is mixed, men and women sitting together naked, it could be your, your friends, like your, your, you know, your girlfriend and her boyfriend and uh, you sitting together in a sauna, all naked. <laughs> it's like normal here. <laughs> and um, are, you, are you okay with that? Are you comfortable with that? I was, the first time I was here, actually, I was offered by a friend to join him. I thought, oh my God, like what? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so take off the clothes and stand naked as nature intended. I'll take off mine just to show you that I'm in good faith. Yeah, but there is something very liberating. And I think also you have those crazy clubs here, whatever you can imagine, you know? And I think there is something here. I, I told you this word before in German, it's called Sachlich, like very functional, like very. And I think also. Uh, this is being seen very functional. I mean, going to the sauna, you're naked, whatever, it's okay. Doing sex is another thing. Love is another thing. It's like not necessarily connected with each other. <laughs> Where I come from, it's like everything is very connected. And in Israel, you have a very problematic, even uh, attitude toward uh, nudeness and sex. Here, it's very matter of fact. It's normal. This is our body. We, yeah, yeah, we... yeah, yeah. And it's, it's nice. I mean, it's... <laughs> I think it's a good thing also, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 but it is a kind of a cultural shock when you meet it. Bialer's fascination with Germany began at an early age. I was uh, first in Berlin 95. I fell in love with the city. It was a very different city. It was still like 
You see today where it was much more gray, much more underground style. It has a feeling of Russia kind of. <laughs> and I was very intrigued by the city. And I, I remember I told myself back then, like I want to live here once, or like sometime in my life for a while. But my story with Germany started when I was 14. I started learning German. We were actually living in Nigeria. My dad worked there and I was attending an American international school and I had to learn English. And when I came back to Israel, I really wanted to learn another language. So uh, that time I was thinking, okay, what language will it be? And I was reading a lot of books, actually like Holocaust stories. And, uh, yeah, and then I thought, okay, I, I want to start learning German, which is weird, but this is how it went. It was strange, like for a 14 year old girl to learn German and it was the nineties. Das sind meine Augen. For over a decade, Bialer has been leading youth exchanges between Israel and Germany and creating a space for young people to ask the so-called forbidden questions. Or uh, I guess also today, youngsters, like you're, you're very intrigued about Germany in a way, in a weird way also because of the story of the past. Also thinking how young Germans are affected by their story, you know. Also talking about things you really wanted to ask, like what did your grandma do? What did your grandfather do back then? Because I think this is like really what you want to ask. This is like the pornographic <laughs> part of the, of the story. I mean, it's the same for, for uh, Germans when coming to Israel. They were very interested to know what, what did my grandparents went through. Because this is the thing, I mean, when Germans and Israelis meet, there is a connection, but it's a weird connection. When a German and an Israeli meet, and in context of the past, I mean, you're like, you're taking a role, even in your subconscious, but you're taking some kind of a role. And my role as an Israeli would be getting into my Jewish role, I guess. And for the German, it will be getting, I don't want to say Nazi role because not, but like getting in contact with this past. It's a, pa it's a part of German history as it is a part of Israeli history. We were really intrigued by Nirit's early fascination with Germany. But as it turns out, our questions about Israelis in Berlin can be kind of annoying to Israelis in Berlin. Nirit wasn't the only one to express this feeling. You know, it's like, just I'm Nirit. I'm also Jewish. I live here. I like living here most of the time. And I find sometimes that in Germany, like, um, kind of uh, chewed, over chewed this theme. But I've been really in this theme, yeah, for, for a while, like, like I told you, like for 20 years. It's <laughs> and it's something which is very, I guess this is what um, keeps me here as well, even in the cold winters and uh, when it gets a bit gray and uh, um, it's something which, which uh, still intrigues me in a way. Nothing's falling down, yes, I'm praying for you. 
To find out more about Nurit Bialer and the other guests on today's show, go to our website, shtetlmontreal.com, for links to their projects. Coming up, the Hebrew slaves might have been lured out of Egypt with the promise of freedom. Our next guest, born in the USSR, was just looking for a bottle of Coke. Stay tuned for more of this episode of Shtetl next year in Berlin. We could deceive with light, clock ticking days passing by. Nothing's going on, hanging over our heads. Gravity is not there, and nothing ever comes between us. Looking at us, fools flying high in the air. You're listening to Nothing's Falling Down by Berlin-based Israeli duo Ofrin, made up of singer Ofrin Brin and her composer husband, Oded K. Next on our tour, we meet Ola Levine, an Israeli multimedia artist whose journey to Berlin actually started in Lithuania. Ola Levine had an idyllic childhood in the Soviet Union with the freedom to pursue all her artistic and creative dreams. Because as a kid, I had a great life there. It was very free. You could do everything without paying, so I could choose my life. Dancing, making music, uh, reading books, going to the libraries, it was everything for free. And till you don't have this uh, participation in the system, the life is kind of nice. Although Lithuania didn't allow for public religious life, the Levine family managed to maintain some Jewish traditions at home. I was uh, born in a very uh, open-minded, not religious home with some Jewish traditions and also Yiddish was a language at home between my mother and my father when they did not want us to understand what they talk, actually. And it was, uh, first of all, already this Yiddish was a pain in the ass for me because it was kind of completely connected to Judaism. And for me was uh, being Jewish, being different. And I don't didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like everyone else. But in the 1960s, being a Jewish girl with curly dark hair didn't make assimilation easy in her neighborhood. When I was like eight years old or nine years old, I had the best friend, Vida. We went together to the school, we made together our homework. And then once on the way to her house, suddenly I felt that her she's starting to run quicker and quicker and I am uh, following her and I said, hey Vita, where are you running? I can't because I have this big rucksack and it's jumping on my back and I really can't follow you and she's really running 
uh, away from me and then I catched her and I stopped her and told her, hey, what is going on? And she told me, you are Jewish and today is Jewish Eastern and you will kill me and you will take my blood. And I was, you know, we were eight years old. Ola's father, Avram Levine, was born in Germany in 1925. At 18, he joined the Russian army to avenge his father's death at the hands of the Nazis. After the war, he ended up settling in Lithuania. There, Levine became an innovator in the early days of television technology, produced a popular show on economics, and had achieved the highest standing possible for anyone who was not a member of the Communist Party. In 1971, after pressure from his boss to denounce Israel through his TV station, Avram Levine abruptly quit his job. And then he came home, I remember this day, and he told, sit down, all of you, and I like my mother, my sister and me, I have something very important to say. I am going to Israel, and if you want, you can join me. I was uh, 14, 15, something like this, and uh, my sister is younger, so of course it was like, hey, I will not stay here alone. You know? So uh, all the preparations started from this second. At that time, Israel was one of the only possible destinations for those looking to leave the Soviet bloc. Even still, the bureaucracy required to emigrate was like a reality show produced by Kafka. Not only did you have to quit your job while waiting for permission to leave, but you also had to produce letters signed by everyone from your past employers to your ex-wife to the plumber. I was very curious to go out because everything you hear is only bad about the capitalistic world. And... uh, when we got our permission to go to Israel, I remember the first thing I wanted to drink is Coca-Cola because it was the worst capitalistic sign, you know. But <laughs> like I was, I was, at least it's alcohol or something inside. And uh, after I, I came to Israel, it was uh, the feeling of, Wow, I am free. That's it. Also from my parents, from everything. I just decided that's it. When I came to Israel, I saw, so it was, wow. It's a normal place and I am normal. It's great. This is what I wanted always. (laughs) And then I felt at home, you know, like this is my home. It was this feeling of... uh, that you you forget about something that is uh, killing you softly all the time. <laughs> After graduating from art school in Jerusalem, Ola took a trip to West Berlin during her honeymoon and ended up staying. Like coming also. T- to Berlin as a city that uh, is Germany, but still it was no not Germany. Like Berlin is uh, 
like New York is not United States, Berlin is not really Germany in a way. And in this time, even more than now, because we were, it wasn't a kind of strange autonomy. It's uh, not interesting uh, for investors, not in this time, because it was uh, closed from west and east. And to go to the west, you had to uh, to pass this uh, two or three hours and to wait on the border. And uh, it was really like a bubble. And we liked our bubble a lot. Uh, Israelis are uh, everywhere now in Berlin. It's, uh, Israel is very, very hard for creatives. It's very expensive country. It's very politically not secure country. As everyone knows, it's a country with lots of problems. The young people want to live simple life. This is the same what happened to me. They, they come for uh, one week and they stay. You went from a place where you felt all of a sudden at home in Israel where you recognized yourself yeah. and your community and you came back to a place where you were again maybe we could say a minority no i did not feel minority because i came to the west berlin which was more or less a city of artists and uh, strange people people that are uh, not non-conformists or ex escaping for a normal societies and Having this kind of uh, attitude is very, in this Berlin that I came, attracted me a lot. That you are what you are and uh, you don't have to adopt yourself to nothing. Only two years after arriving in Israel, Ola's father, Avram Levine, returned to Germany. You know, my father was born in Germany before the war and he always told us that Germany is not Hitler. It's much more of this uh, culture that was given to the world uh, than the Second World War. And he also sent us to a German school in Lithuania, so I already could speak German uh, from the first grade, like started to learn. I never understood in this time why he is sending me to German school. But uh, his uh, perception about the war was always very historical and understanding about what, to what human being is capable and like to be uh, always uh, aware of it and also to preach it to others. Despite the war, Avram Levine was confident that Germany was a place with vision and a future for the type of world that he wanted to live in. Today, Ola, her children, and her parents all move back and forth between Israel and Germany, two countries they consider home. 
song you just heard was I Human by Mary Ocker, who was born in Moscow and grew up in Israel before settling in Berlin. You've been listening to a special edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave, part two of our series on Jewish arts and culture in Berlin. In this episode, next year in Berlin, we're hanging out with Israelis living in the German capital. You've been listening to a special edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave, part two of our series on Jewish arts and culture in Berlin. In this episode, we've been focusing on Israelis who have chosen to call the German capital their home. Yael Ronen grew up in the theater world. Her father is the artistic director of Habima National Theater, an institution of such importance that it has been described as designing the cultural life of Israel itself. Ronen, now a theater director in her own right, first traveled to Berlin with a production called Plonter, exploring how her generation of Israelis and Palestinians are dealing with the conflict. Plonter had an extended run through Germany. It spoke to people. We met Ronen at the Maxim Gorky Theater in downtown Berlin. Well, actually it was after a, a producer, a German producer saw Plonter. She said, oh my God, I thought that this kind of therapy work should really be done with the third generation of Jews and Germans here to talk about about their background and to talk about it was like I think it was in when it was 60 years for Israel so as she said and to talk about the new Israeli identity and what makes the new Israeli identity and then I said you know if you talk about the Israeli identity in contra to other nations definitely also somehow the Palestinians should be there and then we thought about creating this very weird triangle when we're talking about being a third generation of a national story of a national trauma what kind of things what uh, themes came out in this in this production third generation um wow quite quite a lot but Generally, because we were trying to, to not talk, you know, in the name of our parents and our grandparents, we really tried to see what makes a difference between our generations to the generations before and about the evolution, you can call it, of conflict resolutions or non-resolution, mm-hmm. uh, to, to check the, the feeling of responsibility, to check even the, the, the conflict the Germans have in the way that they are treating the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, their ambivalence about it. Um, you could also say that this was one of the outcomes of the Nazi regime. Um, but And it, it had to do a lot with the, the feeling about how each side is in a way abusing the memory of the Holocaust in order to, to, to use it as a, as a tool inside a discussion about the Palestinians comparing the 
the Holocaust to the Nakba about uh, or just putting the Holocaust in the how everybody are using the Holocaust inside the political current debate. We'll be back with more from Yael Ronen, but first take a listen to this song by Heartbeat, a musical collaboration by Palestinian, German and Israeli youth. Jeder Bauer weiß, man erntet das, was man sieht. Darum wollen wir, dass jedem gut geht. Unser Prinzip heißt Mensch, also denke daran, dass jeder mit mir die Welt verändern kann. Wer bestimmt die Realität, wer bestimmt, wie es ist. Fragst du dich, wie es anders geht, ob es bleibt, wie es ist. Wie sieht die Welt aus in unserer Utopie? Ich frage mich, welche Antwort ich daraus ziehe. Ich verändere mich täglich. Denn ich beweg mich, anders zu sein als ich bin Nein, das geht nicht, ich gebe Respekt Wenn du mir Respekt gibst, dann gibt es auch kein Friss oder Stopp Denn wir wollen die Dinge selbst in die Hand nehmen Die Lösung der Probleme selbst in die Hand nehmen Position beziehen und dann dafür einstehen Zusammenhalten und dann nicht klein beigeben Yael Ronen moved to Berlin with her Arab-Israeli husband, Youssef Swaid, in 2006. Ronen talks about what it was like to first come to Berlin, the quote-unquote scene of the crime. It, I felt it mainly in the first times that I've been to Germany and to Berlin. I had a really hard time even to, to hear the German language. Uh, and for me, everything was very, very loaded in the beginning. I think the more I got used to the place, and also I think because I was dealing so much with this subject, so it did not stay suppressed. It was very much in the open, and it was discussed so much with people about, you know, about their past, about their memory, how they feel about it. Now experience Berlin more as like a cosmopolitan city, without the, the heaviness of the of the past. I heard that in Berlin, it's one of the places in the world with the most Palestinians outside of Palestine. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, even the, maybe it's even the most Israelis. It seems like there's a lot of Israelis yes, here as well. Yes, there's like 20,000 in Berlin alone, I think. So are you connected to both communities? Um, not really. And we are most most connected to actors community and inside this actors community we have few Israeli friends and few uh, uh, Palestinian friends but we we live uh, just next to Zona Nale which is mainly Lebanese and Palestinian so he feels very much at home he can go to the grocery store and speak Arabic 
So he, and he feels more free to speak here Arabic than in Israel. Mm. Living here, do you think you'll continue to, to, to look at like the Israeli identity, Israeli-Palestinian identity? Um, yeah, I think mainly, you know, the whole experience of immigration, since it's also a very big issue here, and it is become, especially Berlin, a city built out of uh, immigrants and strangers. So for me, it is a very interesting and very personal topic. And, you know, I just also read an article that 2013 was the biggest year of immigration ever in the at least one last hundred years, which I find interesting. And to see what is the effect on your identity, being an immigrant. So what is the effect? It does create more of a complex kind of identity of people who don't identify themselves, you know, I'm uh, I'm Serb, I'm German, I'm, it's, I'm a little bit of that, I'm a little bit of that, I live here for many years, but I feel still very much like this. I speak the language, but I feel my culture. So it's, uh, it's, it's those kind of new hybrids, um, which for me would be more like the, the identity of the future. Like Jews the world over, Israelis are still part of the wandering people, navigating what home means for them. While not ignoring the past, these Berliners are reinventing themselves and transforming their chosen city along the way. And with that, we say, next year in Sababas, a little Israeli-owned hummus shop in Mitte, downtown Berlin. Thanks to all our guests, Nir Duvolf, Nurit Bialer, Tal Alon, Ola Levine, and Yael Ronen. Thanks to Krista Muir, also known as later Hosen Musel, for composing some of the original music in this episode. And thank you for tuning in to Shtetl on the Shortwave's special edition, next year in Berlin. Look out for the final episode from our Shtetl Berlin series, coming this summer to a radio near you. We're going to leave you with Israeli band The Young Professionals. Don't be fooled by the lyrics. It's actually a love song to one of their favorite cities. <laughs> <laughs>